0: Master in music, master, master in music Ladies and gentlemen, I hope that you are all doing well and taking care of yourself in this time. So I'm keeping up my grand need of teaching the shallow on my youtube channel Patronella Turin so if you want to learn how to play shallow that's a great way to to get some inspiration and uh, practice actually I call it practice with Patronella and I'm also looking and planning into the next season of Mastering Music so if you have some guests that you would like me to interview you can write me a message and i will try to do my best because i have uh, so much people that i want to interview but i'm also really interested in who you want to listen to so your opinion really matters for me so go in on my instagram or my facebook swedishalist patronaterin write to me if you don't have social media you can also just go my website you know it masterinmusic.com on that web page you will also find a lot of extra material like youtube videos and links to the artist and a little bit more information about the artist so maybe you want to check them out more and further then you can always go there and and have a look it's a nice way to get some easy access to the artist and also to me of course so for today's episode i have a very special. The man that taught me all the best things I know about cello play. Professor and solo solist Nils Uldner. He's a Danish music animal that just spread music in every step of his life. He has been working as a principal cellist since his 20s at the Malmö Symphony Orchestra in Sweden. He's a cello professor and chamber music director at the Danish National Conservatorium in Odense in Denmark. Just like the famous tale of the writer Jose Andersen tells the story about the ugly duckling, Niels has the gift of seeing the inner swan in every person that he meets. As a shallow teacher, he can get to know your hidden soul just by listening to you playing. As he slowly peels off the layers of duckling feathers, he awakes a beautiful swan in all of his students. I have always admired Nils ability to see other people and is a gift that I really wish that I can take over one day. In this episode you will get to go behind the scenes in the professional orchestra and learn about the unwritten orchestra rules and the do's and don'ts. We walked down memory lane and uh, talk about some of our times greatest cellists and Nils old Teachers is some of the cellists like Rostapovich, like Foyer like William Peeth, and some secret living locations of our most famous composers. I am so proud and grateful to have had the opportunity to learn from Nils, and I like to give my strongest, sincere recommendation to you who is listening to this episode and want to become an like, orchestra cellist. Nils Ulner is the most incredible teacher. With more than thousand insights on how to winning the jobs, how to do competitions, how to find joy in professional cello playing, he has taught cellists like Jonathan Svensson, Mattis Bang Hansen, Mikolai Balaski from Cello Brothers, and many, many more. So now let's listen to Tchaikovsky's Peso with Malmö Symphony Orchestra and Niels Ulner. Welcome to Master in Music, Professor Nils Ulner, or solo solist Nils Ulner, because you have two titles, at mm. least.
1: Yes, thank you, <laughs> Tronella.
0: We are sitting in your house here in Copenhagen, in Denmark. Actually, it's the first time we are in Denmark with the podcast, because mm-hmm. we have been uh, interviewing a Danish person before, Martin he yes. says He sends his love to you, by the way. Thank you. And then, uh, but first time we are in actually in Denmark and in Copenhagen with uh, actually Danish person. But you are working in Sweden in uh, a great orchestra called the uh, Malmö Symphony Orchestra. That's true. For 30 years. For 30 34 four years, years, even. Years yeah, 34 years. Yes. I was on the celebration of 30th birthday or... Like okay. celebration, you had a little garden party when you have uh, been in the orchestra for 30 years. Mm-hmm. How do you still have the fire to work for 30 years in the same place? What's the secret?
1: Well, I think it's the same with uh, living together with another person for, for a, a marriage. lifetime. Yeah. A marriage. It's not the same person. If you are lucky, it's a person who can develop and, who, and we are all persons who are changing uh, during our lives. And I think my relationship to the orchestra has been really different from the start to, to where I am. I am now. It was uh, I, I left the Danish Radio Orchestra uh, from a tutti place, and I was uh, then left some privileges by having fantastic, uh, famous conductors and, and and knowing knowing the best. Uh, have experiencing the best soloists and and conductors in, in the world, maybe. Uh, and that was maybe not the case in Malmö, but then I had another responsibility because I, I was a principal cellist there. And uh, gradually this orchestra has been developing into a first-class orchestra, I must say. And it has been rewarded the last few years with a new concert hall in Malmö Live in, in Malmö, which is to be counted uh, amongst the best halls in Europe,
0: I think. It's super incredible. I was there and it was so fancy. I was even in, like, they have a sky bar event. Like, okay, I started with a sky bar because I was hungry. (laughs) And then I went down to the lobby and everything is super fancy. And Mm -hmm. it's just quality and pretty design. Like, even when you walk on the street outside, the, the trees fit into the landscape which is incredible, and I was actually like looking at the trees and like, oh my god, even they they are like perfectly uh, fitting into the area. Mm-hmm. But how is it to play inside? Because I didn't do that.
1: I mean, it is a warm and clear acoustic. I mean, normally the two different characters are the the warmth, uh, and the sound, and the clarity. They are often like enemies. Mm-hmm. It's uh, seldom that they can really blend. If you compare to halls in, in, in famous halls in Europe like the Concertgebouw, uh, it, it is a very enormous acoustic and it's so wonderful to to to, to listen to, but it's really difficult to play in because mm-hmm. you can hardly hear what's going on. Uh, this is one edge of the spectre. Another one could be the Elbphilharmonie in, in Hamburg, which is also fantastic, but it's so clear that it it's almost annoying. It's yeah. almost uh, scary, scaring. And, and yeah. is, I think it must be like playing a, a Stradivarius violin if you're normally not used to it. Yeah. it you, you, it's like walking on a, on a line. Yeah. But um, so our hole is something in between. And mm-hmm. it's, it's wonderful because it's still clear and it's still also warm. It has a very, uh, so to speak, human sound. We so are
0: happy say. with the designers and the yes, architecture? we are. And you also have like a relative new uh, chief conductor, uh, an American. Yes, that's true. And how do you like him? Tell us about him, because we are curious. Well, it's is it Robert Trevino? Yes,
1: Robert Trevino, yes, yeah. he's American. He is a very young conductor, so yeah. to speak, to, to compare with...
0: When you're a young conductor, you're like over 40. <laughs> he's not. No, no, he's no. not even 40. He's no, in he's his 30s. A, yeah, 30. Wow, so that's So I really think young. he's really young.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I actually I played wasn't with wasn't
0: even born when you started playing in the orchestra. No, 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 that's true. I even
1: played with Leopold Stokowski. He was 92 and I was 16.
0: Oh wow! Uh, he
1: was he was old, I think.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> but normally, I would say that uh, conductors in the class that you would prefer them to be uh, by age uh, to 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 achieve the experience to be a uh, chief conductor, would be normally past the 50-year age. Mm-hmm. But uh, in this case, I think uh, Robert Trevino is very extremely gifted and extremely efficient. He, he, he can do anything. Of course, uh, the the American style is maybe in a little far from, from the Scandinavian, so we have to get used to each other, but yeah. we're working <laughs> on that. But uh, he's very friendly and he's very open and very... I think it's, 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 it's Inspiring to work with a gifted person like he is.
0: Is it um, like is it important uh, when you have a conductor that he's friendly and well behaved?
1: No, uh, I mean friendliness can can also be <laughs> a cover for for you know hiding your weaknesses. So uh, no, no. I think we we are very musicians are so quick. We can in split seconds uh, we know what is going, what is all about with it when we have a new conductor. And sometimes even if they are mean, you can forgive them everything if they are great musicians. Okay. Mm-hmm. So
0: what is the benefits of having a young conductor then compared to an older one?
1: Uh, for me, it's different to say, but I think maybe I, I'm getting so old so that that uh, I can only speak of a, a small part of the orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> uh, of course, from so, your point of view. <laughs> but for, from our point of view, it's it's nice to, to see that the music is uh, given uh, on to new generations, and we are well, it sounds maybe very sentimental, but I think you should be grateful to be part of the game still when, yeah. you, when you are 60. I'm always, almost <laughs> 64, the, yeah. the famous age. So um, I'm happy to be part of the game still.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I saw an interview that you did. Uh, I read the article uh, before this in- interview because I was doing some research. Mm. And there was a research where some journalist made an article about you when you were going to play Don't She Chico. Don't include. Don't Yeah, and it was funny because the article was mostly you talking about how much you like your colleagues, especially the one on uh, the one who was gonna make the viola solo, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he also talked about the conductor. Mm-hmm. But it was um, I think that describes you very well because you are always even if people ask you questions about yourself, you start complimenting your colleagues. <laughs> Which well, was funny.
1: Thank you. I, I, I take that as a, a but good thing. When good I
0: complimented <laughs> the orchestra, you, you were like, yeah, you know, the other guy who is the soloist, uh, the Finnish, uh, your Finnish colleague, who is the second uh, principal uh, soloist, mm-hmm. he always compliments him. Next, when I say the orchestra sounds good, mm-hmm. so uh, you don't take the credit all the time. So humble, is it very Danish humbleness over you, Niels. Uh,
1: thank you. I don't know if it's Danish. I don't think so. Uh, if it if if Swedish. it is anything, it is maybe <laughs> life having taught myself how hard the business is, and, and we should really uh, appreciate when people make a good yeah. career or they make a good, uh, you know, they make a good work with the music, so to speak. It actually is more important than a career. But
0: maybe mm. it's also part of the orchestra that you are so dependent by your colleague oh, yes. so you cannot play you cannot play good if you don't have good colleagues next to you and the same wise they cannot play good if you are not helping them because it's a collaboration between each other
1: yeah it's really true it's like a big family and in some families there are taboos that you cannot speak about and then you find a a way of living mm-hmm. uh, uh, without taking out the problems in the in the open, yeah. and, and of course it's the same in an orchestra. There, are, uh, there is a. Special degree of openness, the feeling of being uh, friends, but of course there is also a limit to to this, and I think it's a it's a it's a matter of culture to find this balance. And I think in our orchestra it's a very fine culture. In some orchestras, uh, they can be really mean to each other, and and uh, well, I don't know what what the purpose is for that. Of course, it's, sometimes it's uh, well, there there is. <laughs> There's actually nothing between um, love to the work or fear. These are the two biggest uh, forces. And I think the love is much more interesting.
0: And also, like, in my experience, people also play better when they are happy than when they are miserable. Yes. (laughs) Uh, But it's only my, like what I try to do with my students, like, I also notice when they feel comfortable, they play much better than when they are scared, and when they are angry, they really play very tense, and yeah, it's no point continuing, almost. Uh,
1: you're true, uh, that's right, you're right, I think it's it's important then that we can remember the the dark feelings, the, the, the bad things in our lives also, because we cannot only... We should not only express when we are happy, but you have to be relaxed to be able also to to show the bad, yeah. the sarcastic, uh, t- uh, you know, angles in, in life and things like this, uh, like in Shostakovich's music, for instance. Uh, I mean, it doesn't work if you are depressed like... like he might have been a lot of his time in his, mm-hmm. his life. You, you, do, you don't have to be depressed to play Shostakovich, but you have to, to feel enormously inspired to do it, even if you know that, that he was struggling. I mean, th- to be the artist or to be the, the messenger is not the same as being the message.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. That's a really good uh, advice, actually. Mm. So what... I I mean, you were talking about the taboos in the orchestra and I got really curious. So what is a taboo in the orchestra? What can you do? When What can't you do in the orchestra? Like, oh. be late, for example, maybe? <laughs> Cannot be yeah, late. But,
1: but that's not a taboo. Mobile
0: phone <laughs> ringing? <laughs> uh, no, it happened. Uh, yeah, when I played course. in the, some professional orchestras, mm-hmm. the telephone was ringing and I was like, there was the contrabass players and I was like, okay, he's going to die now. The conductor is going to kill him. But mm-hmm. nothing happened. So it's very different from orchestra to orchestra. I, I found out.
1: Well <laughs> this this is a, an interesting point, but I mean, discipline in any orchestra is, is uh, can find its own level. I mean, sometimes uh, you the, the management has to remind the, the musicians of uh, <laughs> not having their phones on on stage and things like that. But I mean, normally it should not be a, a problem. I mean, and w- I remember one when we had uh, the the Russian chief conductor, Vasily Sinaisky, He was our chief for like uh, eight years, I think, in the in the beginning of of this, uh, f- uh, from two thousand, I think, like mm-hmm. that. And he, he was so fixed on this problem that, that there were some people, once or twice a phone had, had interrupted the work and he was really mad about this. And so, <laughs> once our orchestral manager had to come on stage and make a long speech that now nobody should forget it. And the first thing that happened after was that my phone rang <laughs> in, my, in my pocket and and nobody said anything, and I, th- I, I thought now I'm dying, but nothing happened. There was no comment, <laughs> and that is, of course, because they knew that that I didn't do this uh, on purpose. Or I, I was always quite, you know, careful with my work, and I think I would be, have been the wrong one to, to, to yeah. give give a swada. Yeah. Uh, so, so um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, it was shameful, you're like, oh no. Oh. But, but
1: still, I remember the feeling, and it wasn't very good.
0: No, <laughs> 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 you're like, oops. Mm. So how how is it working in an orchestra? Like, because I know that the orchestras are very different, and they have different uh, working uh, conditions um, through the world. But how is it working in Sweden, in Malmo, for example? Like, how does the workday look like in the orchestra? How long do you play?
1: Well, no, normally we actually had. <laughs> periods of, of uh, long working days like from from 10 to 4 and then that was too too much it it really doesn't work if you have to if you have to have a, a long break uh, like one hour lunch break in order to to, to be able to to uh, cope with two more hours it, it's really not efficient so so the orchestra for many years played uh, had a rehearsal monday to wednesday 10 to half past two, and even in our time with our chief conductor, Marc Soustro, French, uh, who, who now left the orchestra, he thought that we should be even more efficient, so he's, he cut down half an hour so that we actually worked uh, ten to two, except for Tuesday, which was also with a sectional rehearsal, so that uh, we had to do, like, the old system uh, 10 to half past two on tuesdays and then it was a dress rehearsal always three hours uh, thursday and a concert in the evening sometimes we even have a an extra concert a reprise concert in on fridays but uh, mostly there is a new production in on Saturdays. so the orchestra makes often two productions every week and uh, with totally different kinds of repertoire and uh, so you have to be quite prepared to do like this year is beethoven and really high classical standard and then you should also be able to uh, light classical or even jazz concerts or even rock concerts and Mm -hmm. things like this which makes the the whole job the whole uh, life of um, an orchestra musician much more interesting but it can be too much sometimes, mm-hmm. the, because we we are always
0: changing uh, between a lot of genres.
1: Yeah, we have to we have to actually find a way to to please our audiences, our different audiences. We must be more or less experts in different fields, which is difficult because if you want to be real really good in Brahms and Beethoven, you have to spend all your time on it. Uh, I think you could ask the Berlin Philharmonic about <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> well, it's very funny because, like, you ask a marketing, like a person who works with marketing, they say mm. that you should always narrow down the target group. Mm. Uh, but in classical music, is kind of, I mean, what you see more and more now in the concert halls is that they are trying to open it up, but they open up in all in the younger's of the music instead of opening up in the op- personal approach to the audience. Because mm. I don't know when I try to. Sell concerts. I try to do it uh, with a personal approach. So they are buying patronella by uh, playing something. They mm-hmm. are not mm-hmm. uh, buying a shallow concert. Mm-mm. They are buying me playing yeah, a shallow yeah, concert. Yeah, yeah. But. Um, I mean, they're still learning and there is orchestras that I see that I hardly even know that they are playing concerts, but apparently they are because they are so bad at marketing. So it doesn't really reach out to the audience. But uh, if someone is listening to this who is uh, a marketing for the symphony orchestra, there is something called Facebook and Instagram and there's a lot of people using it. Mm. So maybe that's a good uh, platform for reaching out for audience, especially younger audience. Yes. But you also do a lot of children's concert now in Malmö, I saw, to yes. try to find the new generation of audience.
1: Yes, it's, uh, I mean, always an issue, a very important issue, how to at least secure that the, the kids come to the hall yeah. uh, during their school time. So I think it was the ambition for our our the people who were actually arranging the children's concerts, that, that they should... Every child in the outskirts of Malmo yeah. uh, or the uh, commu- community yeah. of Malmo should at least two times during their school be in the concert hall, and this uh, I, I'm sure is happening. I mean, uh, when we do these uh, weeks with with uh, school concerts, there yeah. are ten thousand people during a week in yeah. the hall, in the hall, and it's fantastic. I've been I have a very fine contract, so I don't have to play. Everything that the orchestra does, and the, of course my knowledge is more, mostly the the old, old classical <laughs> <laughs> concerts, the the, the concert concert <laughs> programs. But I have been working in all the different uh, styles, I must say. But uh, my colleagues will maybe not. Uh, Think that it was very much school concerts <laughs> I did, but I have I know what it is, and I think it's a fantastic <laughs> feeling to to see the hall filled up with with children, children, and with also sometimes with their parents when it is and their grandparents when it is the, the Nalle concert, yeah. the, the when they have teddy their bear teddy concert, bear with it? them
0: on Saturdays. I think yes, it's yeah. fantastic. So what is your contract? You are soloist, so you are not every week there.
1: No, I, I work, uh, I, for many years I worked half-time, now I work 60%. Yeah.
0: Do <laughs> all lists work that amount, or is it only you?
1: No, it is a matter of ne- negotiation. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, I mean, there have, have been famous people who have worked even less. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and But I think the orque- an orchestra needs to have a, a face, uh, and, and it needs to have, well, it can be misunderstood when I say it, but I mean... I think fifty percent must be the the least that you can be in a yeah. present.
0: Because you have to uh, create the culture also between the Shelley cellist section, I guess. Yeah. And keep. Uh,
1: you should be a team. You yeah. you you cannot be a team if you don't know each other. Mm-hmm.
0: How do you create a team as a, sh- a solo solist with the other cellists? Like,
1: I, I, I don't think it, it. It you should not think uh, like. Well, I, I'm used to thinking more like a team that that. Uh, that we of course there's one who should play the solos but 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 what we do is actually the same and we should we should not wait if if people wait for for the solo player to to be together they then know. they are waiting yeah. too long mm-hmm. everybody should know when to play so it's actually not so big difference between being number 1 or being number 3 or 5 uh, it's it's of course the the case that you have to to jump between playing tutti and playing solo that is really the the big issue and that's not so easy and but you it have gets a good trick for that it, it gets easier with the years because you actually get your experience that okay last time it went okay so why shouldn't it be able why, sh- why shouldn't it be possible this time too i mean <laughs> it's a it's a very simple uh, psychology but it it is i think it must be the 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 reason why it's possible to be still a principal cello- cellist like I am after 34 years.
0: You know, how do you change between tutti playing and solo playing? Like, Do you have a trick or is it just like...
1: Yeah, well, the trick is that you have to really join the group when you are finished uh, with a solo and, and, and it, you have to be interested to do so. You have to think that this is uh, a challenge that you want to take uh, because it's not easy and i have seen uh, colleagues who are who are not in my orchestra but in other orchestras i'm sure it's it's it is most most likely to happen that that a very good solo player Mm. is playing too much solo and, Mm. and is actually not joining the group enough in between the solos if you know what i mean I I will not go into this because it sounds like if if I'm trying to (laughs) pinpoint some persons, uh, it's more a theoretical uh, aspect.
0: I think it's also the same with, um, with chamber music and other things that you have to try to blend in. And that's difficult. I mean, also when people apply for the orchestra job, a lot of them are very great players. But when you choose someone, I guess you choose someone who can fit into the group. Or how does it? How does an audition work? Because you sit in the jury when you choose a, a, a new colleague. Mm-hmm. And what do you look for? And what do you listen for?
1: We listen for <laughs> everything. <laughs> we we want. <laughs> it's really a luxury to be be able to choose between such fantastic players, young players that that are applying the jobs now. I mean, every every. Um, Free seat is, I mean, free uh, place, open seat in the orchestra is is announced on what we call uh, musical musical chairs. chairs. And so everybody in the whole world can, on the internet, they can see, well, now there's a a job as a, who knows, a violinist in in Mm. the Malmö Symphony Orchestra. And and there will be maybe a hundred applicants on the day. Yeah. for for yeah well a tutti violin it can happen like this it's really fantastic and it's fanci- but and when when we have to choose between them <laughs> we like to have one who is able to play with big uh, self-confidence and uh, soloist uh, qualities but we also want some somebody who can uh, listen to colleagues in a chamber or chamber music setting so we often make a yeah for instance a quartet trial so they part of the the audition is a chamber music trial or chamber music situation and 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 then it's actually done so that you can you can from the hall from the jury it can be commented would you please do it again and try to think like this or that I mean it's it's a matter of flexibility and if you have this, Possibility of playing like a very big high standard on the soloist, soloistic part, and also being able to to do the chamber music convincingly. Then you are maybe allowed to the to start the right and and the, the real difficult part, which is the probation time. And here you should you are up against uh, a lot of challenges because you should be able to play the the parts. Uh, with not so much uh, time you you must be well prepared you must be flexible also here you must be a good colleague and <laughs> there are many practical aspects also i mean if you are not for young players there are rules that that, that they must know the hard way you cannot write your fingerings in the parts because it's uh, that maybe not the same fingerings that you're mm. Stand partner uses one of the taboos. <laughs> that's a, a taboo. Well, that's a rule that you must know. You cannot uh, change the the page. Turn the page too late or too soon, or you know, practical small. It sounds like small things, but it really it feels like the same as if you are a co-pilot in a, in a cockpit. I mean, if you do do things wrong, it can be fatal. It mm. it is the same feeling in, yeah. in 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 the difficult passages. Of course, there, nobody will die, but but uh, we, are we, same, die? <laughs> <laughs> we are feeling the same. We are feeling the same responsibility. I think mm-hmm.
0: because I know. You were my teacher, so I know that you've been teaching a lot of people and succeeding with getting a lot of your pupils into the orchestra. Mm -hmm. And even other instrumentalists come to you. They're double basses, violinists. Everyone comes to you when they are going for audition Mm -hmm. because you are the master of auditioning. So give us your your tips because you're really good at getting people into the orchestra.
1: Well, that that, that is a very... (laughs) Very, uh, high rated, overrated. No, Nils, uh, you, you
0: know it's true. Like no,
1: but I mean, it's so difficult to to have to to put your students into the orchestras now. I'm uh, just happy that it happened a few times.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we mm. were opening the champagne because mm-hmm. <laughs> we were in the masterclass. Yeah. People call you and say, well, "I want the job." Yeah, that's true. And sometimes you got two of them into the mm. same uh, mm. orchestra at the same time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, but uh, I don't know I cannot say how the recipe is because uh, it's a matter of I think if if anything you have to to work by the example. I mean, you have to show yourself that you respect your colleagues in order to convey it to your students. I mean, it's 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 nothing that you can say that you should do like this. I think the best way to teach things like like this is with the attitude is to to have the the right one yourself
0: i think also okay i'm going to say what what you do so you first you like really have respect for the composer and the style like mm. we really like if we are playing beethoven excerpts for the orchestra you are really like know the style and you really have like you know the piece so well that you can tell us this is a difficult part this needs a lot of attention so you kind of teaches your students the culture of the piece. Mm-hmm. Because it's, I think a lot of musicians that are very, very good and very successful, one of their secret recipes is that they can read the score very, very good. Mm-hmm. And that they understand the composer. Yeah. And that's also one of the really hard thing when you do an audition, because you have so many different uh, excerpts, maybe 10 of them or 15 even. And then you have to change between them. Yep. So that's kind of one thing that you teach all of the students very well. And we also like... I know that you are a professor in uh, Odense, because I studied there myself, in the, the southern... Uh, what what do you call the academy now? It was the Danish National it's, Academy it's for a
1: It's the Danish National yeah, Academy, yeah. yes, that's true.
0: Because you changed name, name yeah. when I moved. Yeah. but uh,
1: <laughs> I think it was not because of that. <laughs> it was not because of <laughs> me. <pit run> <laughs> but like, it was a sad moment.
0: <laughs> 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 but uh, anyway... You have something called student concurrence, for example. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's a, like a competition, like an audition for an orchestra. And you invite people from the orchestra, even. You take some, uh, some people from the orchestra to um, judge the students when they... So they can try out behind the screen, even. So they go behind the screen. And then if they play uh, well, they can do the second round. But normally you also force them to do the second round because you want us to practice. Mm-hmm. And also with the concerts pieces. So everyone is playing the famous pieces that you have to play for an orchestra audition because first round is always a concert for uh, cellist is uh, Dvořák or uh, Schumann or uh, Haydn mm. probably Haydn first I guess yes to uh, select everyone who can play in tune yeah tell me about that because that's not every conservatorium who has that and that's quite practical and you started this stunt concurrence because you are also a cellist in the orchestra so I guess you saw that people needed practice
1: yeah, I was hap- happy to to uh, know uh, an old professor emeritus, uh, mm-hmm. a, a former professor in Copenhagen, oboe player uh, Ole Henrik Dahl. He told me that this is a really important thing, work, that you should actually be observant to. And then he he gave me his uh, guidelines, how they did it in Copenhagen, and I th- tried to develop it, our procedure from that. And actually today we have an orchestral academy, uh, the Carl Nielsen Orchestral Academy in in Odense, which um, gives uh, students from the fourth year of the the education the opportunity of applying. And then on their fifth year, that is their second uh, master's year, they can actually work in the orchestra for eight weeks to get the experience. And uh, but they have to uh, show their uh, abilities during uh, an audition, and 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 before that, everybody in the in the school have the opportunity of joining the. Well, of course, the orchestral instrument students have the opportunity of joining our stunt auditions or mock-up auditions, as yeah. they call it in England, I think, or America, and. Um, it is successful and it's it's connecting the 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 study studying life or the teaching life to the to real working life so it's a good way to connect to the orchestra for me it's it's important to have the jury appointed by by colleagues from the Odense Symphony Orchestra. And they, they are not only judging, they are giving feedback. So it's actually more, it's a teaching role. And I think that when we started out this in 2009, 10, I'm not sure, uh, there, there was a little, the, 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 the orchestra was a little reluctant to this idea that, that their members should be, Having a teaching aspect also, they should just play, was the general reaction to my thoughts. But now I think everybody is is more aware of the importance of saving this classical music. Our jewel has been really threatened over the, the last 10 years so that we know every musician knows more than before that we have to fight for it so i think that's actually a benefit for the for the students that they can get some good feedback from the juries like this
0: yeah i think it's super good because it also you need to practice and statistically it shows that you have to apply for 150 jobs you have to do 150 auditions before you win one mm. i did a statistic with people who won it after the first audition and mm. people who won it after the 200 audition mm. Mm. so actually you have to do it a lot of times and the more times you do it mm. you're more likely are you to win it mm. or to be good at doing auditions because doing audition in itself is not like it's not like playing in your practice room it is a very different situation and it's a weird situation because you're playing behind the screen so you don't have any audience that you can look into that in your eyes. You're playing probably with a pianist that you never saw before or ever mm. practiced with. So it is a weird situation to show your best skills in less than three minutes mm. because you don't have a lot of time to show the, the people sitting in the jury that you are the one that they want to have in the orchestra. Mm.
1: It is like uh, democracy is maybe the... The least worst uh, yeah. <laughs> way of of ruling <laughs> a country. I mean, there are and and we cannot find a better way than than auditioning like this. But of course, it's really not without problems. It's it's a it's a big dile- dilemma that we cannot uh, just take people that we that we know will do the job well. We must of course give every, everybody a fair chance. But we we cannot really know. What's, what uh, if we were right or wrong before I think several years of, of work so <laughs> this is a dilemma
0: Yeah, mm. in Sweden you have like if you get your contract after one or two years of trial you have your contract so they cannot really fire you unless you do something severe wrong but there are some orchestras that work by project so yes. you only uh, are hired for one or two years and then if you don't do well they will kick you out mm. which is extreme stress of course for the musicians Yep. Uh, but in Sweden, we don't do that because uh, it doesn't work with our society and uh, socialistic uh, mentality. But oh, I mean, I don't think... It's, that it's sh- good. Yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> think you should have that. I mean, that would be a nightmare. Imagine mm. being able to get fired every day. No, 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 no. <laughs> mm. Have a bad day and then you're out. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh, no, I don't, wouldn't like it. Well, you're a little bit of a legend. Uh, I remember when I first heard about you, I had just... Failed entering the conservatorium in Sweden. Because you also do auditions there. And I failed the CV. And then I heard about this man who never even went to the conservatorium. And was sitting (laughs) as a solo solist in Malmö Symphony uh, Symphony Orchestra. And I thought, that must be the most awesome cellist ever. Mm. Uh, And then I found you. And that's quite unique by you. You never uh, studied at the conservatorium. You got your first job when you were 18 or 19, I think. In the Danish National uh, Orchestra,
1: uh, twenty. But twenty, okay, okay. okay.
0: Yeah. twenty. <laughs> mm. So uh, tell us about that because you're not from a musical family. Your f- uh, father was making bridges. That's true. Yeah.
1: My father is an engineer. He's still alive. He's, he's uh, ninety-four years old. Yeah. Um, he's not making bridges anymore, but he is still an engineer. Yeah. But he, but both my parents were very musical and and. They decided that I, me and my sister and I, we should play the piano from when we started going to school. So from my seventh year, I played the piano, and uh, well, um, <clears throat> my sister didn't really like the piano playing so much as I did. So then, when she was ten years old, she she was uh, um, allowed to to switch into. Violin instead of piano, and also there was in this music school a f- very strange instrument to me uh, called the cello. And uh, well, my mother said, uh, "Why don't you try that?" I said, "Wow, oh, come on!" I, uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, but she cons- convinced me to go to a, to a sort of a trial lesson, and the first just the first sound when my teacher, my who the lady who who became my teacher, when she tuned the cello, the, the A string I remember was I was really my feet were were um, kicked away it was fantastic mm. um, and then I played uh, many hours uh, the first three years with, with her maybe maybe three hours a day or something and I, I thought it was a wonderful thing and then I had to find out uh, what I should do and I I had another teacher who was the principal uh, uh, cellist in the the Danish Radio in the Radio Orchestra. Gerhard a German, and uh, I was slowly just getting uh, infiltrated in this in this business. I could not really live without music without classical music and I was quite ambitious also and I worked a lot and then, and then my third teacher he said to me when I was 19 and just just um, finished school graduated from the
0: high school high school yeah. yes
1: then uh, he said well you don't have to go to to the, the conservatory, to the academy, because I can teach you here in Copenhagen. He was the professor in Aarhus, and uh, I had a lot to do in Denmark, in uh, in, in my in my hometown in Denmark. In, it was Co- Copenhagen, so I wanted to stay in Copenhagen, and he was not teaching in Copenhagen. So he said, "I will teach you privately, and you it will be okay. You can play the piano. You you know theory. You you don't know, you need that academy," he said. And of course, it was a very risky business to to say so and to do that I followed his advice and so but I did and uh, I must say I'm 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 of course worried about the, or I don't know if I should be worried but I was worried at a time that I had no network because I was alone but it turned out to be no problem because I actually got into the radio orchestra at a very young age and, and I had all my studying colleagues they were then mm-hmm. that I didn't have they were then replaced with a new professional colleagues. So I, I was all very early in in business. And um, of course it's difficult to, to, to make the to give the best advice to, to the students because I can I could actually choose my own schedule and, and do do the the work without having to to stop and, and having to, to you know find time time for theory or for other kinds of of um, of obligations I could just play the cello for six hours or seven hours if I liked. And it's really difficult for my students now because they have to attend so, so many other classes. And I respect the, the the ones who actually get up early in the morning and, and make everything, that, that do everything they should do. And I, w- I know it's possible. And... Um, and somehow, I, I don't think it it, it was the best uh, education I got, but I was lucky. I would have loved to, to have more challenges in, in theory and in music history and so but I have been studying myself, and I still am. I think I'm an, an eternity student in but, some
2: of these. But don't
0: you think that the Music Conservatorium has to change? Because, I mean, a lot of the things that we are th- they are teaching now, mm. you can actually learn yourself. Yeah, because that's... music history... It's kind of, I mean, now they're gonna kill me, the history teacher, but you can actually read that book yourself. Mm-hmm. And there is more other urgent subject that is gonna be the difference between life and death if you get a job or not. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a music history, of course, if you don't play st- stylistic. But it's very rarely that your music history, your history teacher is telling you how to play uh, in a stylist way. They just present the music for you. and a lot of that all the young people mm-hmm. already know mm. when they enter the conservatorium for example how do you think the education will change and how would you like it to see it change
1: i think the most uh, important thing is that that the uh, kids must start earlier we we have been sleeping we have had a you know s- sleeping beauty uh, uh, syndrome syndrome in denmark uh, that we thought that it is enough to to choose what you want to do when you are 18 or 19 it's much too late if you want to be a string player of of international standards. And you, your parents must put you in the position to 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 be able to achieve. I mean, the best results al- already when they are starting school is is the latest. I must say, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, so. Um,
0: but I also feel that I mean, also along alongside my colleagues, a lot of people started quite early but they sh- learned everything wrong, mm. and then they have to relearn everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like, even, I mean, they can start early, but they have to start right, sort of. That's true. Because also that's a, I'm also from a small place where there was not a lot of shallow mm. teachers, mm. so the violin teacher has to teach shallow, and I mean, that mm. has its, its e- effects on the yeah. players. Yeah. Uh, clearly,
1: but I mean, still, we must be happy that it that it happened. Yeah. Because the the alternative would would have been that there was no teachers yeah. at all. So so we can just be happy that it's now a better standard, a better uh, what we call it. Knowledge about what is what is necessary and what what is what works what what doesn't work. I think we are just getting wiser all the time. The Swedish society and the Swedish, and the Danish. I mean, we are learning from maybe some of our Eastern European con- countries. We, we we learn some something about the tradition and then we combine it with our own feelings for for how do you raise your child and how what what you can actually what you can expect from, from your child. So it's a mixture of, of our a little maybe too free, free way, free, free style in, in, in Scandinavia and the more old-fashioned uh, you know authoritative way of, of learning everything from, from Russia or from, I mean we can learn a lot in, instead of thinking that we can do everything better, which I think was the Danish uh, problem for many years. We knew better than the world. And now we are actually much more influenced by fantastic teachers from Eastern Europe in in the Danish uh, string society, so to speak.
0: I think, I mean, things are very good in Europe as well, but some things are also really bad that we are so much better in. Mm. That's at least my experience, because every country has its own tops and, and downs, of course. But I also felt like, of course... You can also see that they have you have these wonderful musicians coming from there. But the amount of people going through the music education is triple or five times bigger. Mm. Mm. So then you also are like, yeah, there, then it's also going to be more people who are in a higher level because if you have uh, more students there uh, in the conservatoriums. Mm. But I think it's pretty amazing that you managed to go through and just win a job without going to the conservatorium, because today that is really, really, really rare that that happens. And I think it's impressive, at least. But I know that you also studied for some uh, great cellists, and I wanted to ask you about that. We have, for example, Pierre Foynir, Fournier, I cannot say his Fournier, name. Yeah. Fournier in French. And uh, we have William Peay, my favorite. mm mm-hmm. I really like him. Rostapovich you also met, yes. And how was it with uh, Stalker, also?
1: No, I haven't li- actually. No? I have. I have heard him teach, yes.
0: Okay, but you were not. Uh, I have not played for Stalker,
1: no, unfortunately.
0: But how was it with this uh, this great, shallow giants? Tell us about
1: it. Well, um, it, it was fantastic to 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 have the opportunity of meeting, especially Mr. Fournier. He was a, a very noble aristocrat and a fantastic player and he was um, i thought that maybe he was had not so much uh, edge and so much temper in his uh, teaching but that was until i saw him being getting really mad in a master class with a young uh, virtuoso type uh, and a boy who play very quickly, fast uh, Valentini sonata, things you know, very virtuoso style up and down and um, at a point, Fournier he almost threw his boat (laughs) to the floor, he said stop, you know the greatest virtuosity is to sing (laughs) go home and work on your singing qualities and that was wonderful because that was exactly what he could himself, He, he had a very beautiful sound and he he was of course also able to play uh, the repertoire i mean he, he could also play the virtuoso things but he was not interested in in that so much and i remember my first lesson with him i came to to geneva he lived in geneva and so i had private lessons also with him mm-hmm. i, I <laughs> continued my my freestyling and um so i am um, no, I pushed the doorbell maybe 10 minutes too early because I could, couldn't could wait. And I, his Japanese housekeeper showed me into the study and he was not there and I was waiting. And, and then exactly at 3 o'clock he came into the room and he said, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. And uh, so with a very very polite attitude so and I was so disappointed because he came without the instrument and I would have I had been so much looking forward to hear him play in a in a close distance being close to him and and so um but one minute later the Japanese housekeeper came with his cello and she knew exactly how the end pin should be, the end of that and how it should be uh, prepared and he she gave him the, the instrument, his Miramont cello, a wonderful French cello, and he sat there in his um, in his working chair, and um, there was no bow. So she came with a bow, and she knew exactly how much it should the but tension, the tension yeah. should, should have, and it was nothing. It, I mean, I have seen violent bows uh, being being more uh, tense than mm-hmm. than this. He didn't need this, uh, he, or he didn't. And he didn't play in, in, in that way like we do today. Uh, then uh, we started working, and, and I had uh, maybe one and a half year with him. I, I, I lived in Denmark, but I came every month for two lessons. And uh, after one year, maybe, he's, he asked me, if I wanted to stay for a glass of wine after the Mm. lesson. And I was always most fainting because I thought, well, I didn't think I played (laughs) any good that Mm -hmm. day, but but, uh, I was so proud and and, and moved that he would ask me this. And then after the lesson, the, the, the housekeeper came again with a tray with three glasses on it, and we had one each, and he just wanted to tell me that they were who are married. I just want to announce: this is my wife, mm. and that was so beautiful that he wanted, wanted no one to to think that he that uh, there was anything going uh, wrong uh, going on with a Japanese housekeeper. And now she is actually Madame Fournier, who who is uh, now the, the one of the leading jury not jury but uh, board members of the big the Competition. big competitions and and so so. Um, that was interesting. That was the first meeting with with her and and uh, being his wife. Yeah.
0: And um, William Pete.
1: Yeah, but he was uh, he was a very nice man. He was uh, also very cultivated and 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 he had a, an old fashioned, very British uh, language. He was of course a Jewish uh, a boy coming. To, to, I, I'm, I'm not sure if he was actually born in, in in UK. Maybe he was. But but he had this wonderful Jewish uh, way. And he um, he told me that he was actually a student of Klengels in Leipzig. And uh, at the same time, when he came to Leipzig he, as a 15-year-old boy, young boy, that, that, then Immanuel Feuermann was also there. And he was maybe, I don't know, 10 years old or something like that. So Feuermann was... Uh, he had al- almost the same uh, haircut that I have now, which is n- no hair, <laughs> and he he developed it very early, like I did. So he, in his twenties, he was almost bald, bald, and, uh, and and he said to this young, I mean, he told me myself, my, himself, Mr. Pleeth, that that he was addressed by. Mr. Feuermann, he said, yeah, "I, you know, I had a wonderful big hair this time. Uh, and, and and Feuermann told me, for some of your hair, I will give you some of my 4th finger trill. <laughs> and then I must admit, I, I answered him, uh, thank you, no, but but I have both.
0: <laughs> Bam. <laughs>
1: <laughs> then there's steel took the other
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> super funny uh, attitude but they have always it's always about the hair no because mm-hmm. I know that you love Mishamarski a lot <laughs> because <laughs> no. of his hair <laughs> no. you've always been a bit a bit jealous of him <laughs> have
1: I? <laughs> I was not
0: yeah Han- no. Hannah <laughs> your wife is always telling me how jealous you are she says it's about the hair <laughs> no I, I don't think so <laughs> yes. I like <laughs> I
1: like <Feynman. laughs> yeah. I I like Casals too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he he very funny
0: as well. Mm-hmm.
1: No, but uh, and
0: Rostropovich, you also had yeah. Well, yeah. Uh,
1: Rostropovich was in Denmark uh, many times because he was a personal friend of the Queen, Queen's mother, Queen. Ingrid I don't know how how that started but he was always very keen on making friends with the, with the royal families around Europe I think but maybe because as a provocation against the Soviet regime I think maybe but he was he was very often in Denmark and it turned out that he was also in Denmark without people knowing it so they, he, well, at at cer- a certain point uh, in in my work in the jury of the Danish string competition, uh, we had the the opportunity of of, uh, connecting one of the princes, Prince Joachim, as a protector, as a, you know, formal protector of the the, the competition. And uh, after... Well, at some point there was a reception and, and people were talking to him. And, and then at, at a certain point I went to him because I didn't want to line up in the, in the queue there. For, for, I, I just waited for a more calm moment. And, and at, at a certain moment he was totally alone and I thought maybe I have to go and talk to him now because he, he, seems, he seems to be a little bored. And then I asked him uh, if, what his opinion was about Slava, about um, Rostropovich. Uh, if he could remember him, if I can remember him, he, said, he was my piano teacher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it turned out that he often came to the castle and he he was teaching the young princes to play the piano. Of course, this is maybe a little bit exaggerated, but but it was a nice reaction, I think. Slava, he came to also to Denmark in. in he made a master class in Egeskov Castle in eighty. One, I think, 1981, and I played for him the Shostakovich sonata with Anna Öland, who is fortunately not alive anymore. And um, he was a fantastic teacher there, and he said things and. I have I have the scores from from then when he with his uh, remarks because Anna my my pianist colleague she was so consequent she, she she wrote everything he he said in the music so that's nice to have and uh, I remember playing the slow movement of the sonata uh, there's after this very depressed uh, and very fantastic part of the the second part of of the slow movement is so. Almost uh, dead. Then there's this tone coming up, at G sharp, and, and going up in, the, in in the register. And I thought that here we can actually sit, sit, put a little vibrato and and make it more more um, positive, more not so not so depressed. And and then then I asked him, and he said no, no vibrato. So I said yeah, but but I, I was so stupid, I asked him if there was not a little hope here. No hope. (laughs) Yet. No hope. (laughs) He 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 turned me totally down. But I'm still not really... (laughs) I'm still not all all convinced that this is right. Um,
0: (laughs) Now you do it as a provocation. (laughs) But but he was
1: fantastic and he... he, I mean, he he was a showman. When he when he then came back t- 10 years later i met him in malmö because he played the the Dvorak concerto and and he claimed that he remembered uh, us uh, because i had a photograph when i played for him with anjushka like he called he used to call Anne öland anjushka and he actually put his finger on that photograph and uh, he called her by that name so it's it's not he was a, he had a big memory and um and then we it was in the after the concert, there was a reception or a party in the town hall in Malmo, and at a certain point he shouted from a different hall, uh, Niels. Nielsovsky, because I, I, had a, I had a Russian colleague who actually told him my name, and he, he, she used to call me Nielsovsky. So he was calling from the, the hall beside us. Your
2: kings,
1: come, you have to see your kings. And then actually he was pointing to all the, the, the old Danish kings from before, uh, before 1658 when we lost Sweden, uh, <laughs> or s- lost scorn. <laughs> When well, we I took it, it back. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you took back what you think was yours, yes. yes.
0: It was ours, it was ours, it was ours. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> mm. Well, uh, I think it's really uh, lovely. I think I also have a lot of these kind of stories about you. Mm. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. <laughs> but that will be a very long episode about the stories from Nils, war stories. <laughs> <laughs> we can tell one or two. I think there is one that I really like. I think it was the first lesson. I'm not sure, because I came, I think the first lesson was at your home in Gentofte, mm-hmm. when you lived there. It's a very famous uh, place, Gentofte, because Rachmaninov has been there, and also Greek, and Nils likes to tell everyone this, <laughs> at all the concerts with the Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> We have to hear about Rachmaninov because he used to be the neighbor of Gr- uh, Nils. Oh, well. Almost. He lived there during the war, or oh, how was it?
1: Rachmaninoff, he came to, well, I had to make a, an introduction for, for the a concert somehow. Well, yes, not only this the concerts in the, in the academy, but it was at another occasion. And I looked it up and I saw in, on Wikipedia that Rachmaninoff actually lived in Denmark for eight months. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know that. And it even said which houses, and there were two houses in, very close to where I lived, in, or where we lived in, in Gentofte. So he actually lived in a beautiful, yellow, fantastic house in Skowai, uh number five, and every time I pass, also now when I drive by this place I always wave to Sergei, and my wife thinks I'm crazy, but I think it's a fantastic feeling that he was there. And it's also very embarrassing that the Danish Musical Society didn't make him a professor in the academy or things like that. But, but he, he he had to leave. He got a better, better offer, of course, after eight months. So he went to America. And the rest is history.
0: Yeah, unfortunately. Well, anyway, the first time I was in your home... for my first lesson i found it very because one thing that i really like with you is that you never take anything that has with the shallow personally like it's personal but you don't like even if i played like crap you never attacked me (laughs) personally you were always very (laughs) kind (laughs) which is not very a lot a lot of teachers is like that i mean you keep the shallow like if you play crap it's because you play crap It's not because you're a bad person. And I think that is really a success factor with you as a teacher, because you never make your students feel like a crappy persons. actually. Maybe we play like crap, but we are not (laughs) (laughs) always a crappy person. But and also like even if we play very good, you don't treat us differently Mm -hmm. because we are always human first and then we play the shallow but it was funny because the first time i had a lesson with you you hugged me in the end of the lesson and i got a shock because in sweden we don't hug people (laughs) because we have this kind of scandinavian atmosphere with the arms length between each other (laughs) Uh, But you always did that with your students, which was really charming. Maybe you still do it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was really like you're a big shallow daddy. Like everyone refers to you as their father in, in shallow playing almost if they had you as a teacher, which was really nice. And a lot of the times you took good care of us and we always had the uh, master classes in uh, in france in the beginning mm-hmm. and then you made so sure that we could pay for the master classes by doing a shallow ensemble so we played in some we did some gigs around in the uh, mm-hmm. in denmark mm-hmm. so we earned some money before and then we could pay for the master class and go to france and play with the shallow class which mm-hmm. was really clever so you are mm-hmm. a really good entrepreneur actually mm-hmm. but now you're doing master classes in denmark actually in, yes. It's called Östegor or O-re-mans, Sorry, yeah. my pronunciation is yeah. well, <laughs> yeah. With your wife Hannah, and um, yes. also, uh, like, is she a mental trainer or it's like stage performer? No, we. No,
1: she actually actually what we call a physiodrama. physiodramatic teacher she she teaches in the opera academy which is uh, Mm -hmm. more she has um because your wife is an opera singer yeah yeah yeah. but she my wife is teaching in the royal academy of music singing and marlene is in the opera academy which is part of the of the royal academy but uh, what marlene is doing is she's helping hannah with the you could say the psychological parts of, of, of performing and things like this and also physical and also the the I mean putting up a, a, a Mozart part of an opera I mean it's directing it and everything it's a very good uh, they have a very good teamwork um, and, and another colleague is Jesper Sivebeck, who is a professor of guitar in, in also in Copenhagen Academy of Music and um,
0: but do they come to the masterclass? class? Yes. yes also so, so
1: we are now three different
0: yeah, three different kinds uh, teachers
1: animals, uh, music, animals. <laughs> there are singers, uh, cellists and guitar players. And we make chamber music together, even two and two or three and three. And, and, and they have, of course, their own classes also with pianists and so. Um, but we try to make it uh, so that everybody are connected in some kind of chamber music. Um,
2: yeah,
0: in a constellation. Setting. Yes. And um, do you know already now the date for the next masterclass? No, it is mm-hmm. on
1: December? the 24th of Ju- June. It's the day after midsummer and a week from
0: that. Yeah. No. In Denmark. So mm-hmm. people can apply if they yeah. want to see a little bit of Denmark and experience some uh, Danish Danish music well, what did you call it working animals <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really great fun I, mm-hmm. I've been to the ones that you did in France which was a super fun because we were driving down there with all the cellos <laughs> <shallows> and <laughs> because the singers they took the fly they were flying down and we were driving because we had the big instruments so mm-hmm. it didn't really make sense to fly but it was really great uh, mm-hmm. I think we had so much fun mm-hmm. but now you have a quite big class in Odense uh, because you've been teaching there for 20 years this year or more? 20? No, no, actually no?
1: more because I started... But you've been to
0: a professor for 20 years? So no, no,
1: mm-hmm. uh, well I have... Tell us. I started in 90. 90, okay. Yeah, and I have had different uh, different uh, kinds of uh, positions. Yeah, it doesn't matter so much I mean I'm doing the same work as I did yeah.
0: always you're a chamber music <laughs> coordination and the shallow teacher a shallow yeah. professor because you have yeah. your title yeah, the yeah. professor is important and um, you have uh, how many 11 or 10 students
1: there are now 13 students in the school 30. I teach 10 of them
2: yeah,
0: yeah. Mm. and um, from all uh, corners of the world
1: I think there are 7 nationalities yeah. in my class yeah nice from and there are some exchange students from France and uh, Poland and from Austria. Yeah. And uh, so it's, it's, mer- it's very international. And I have even... People How many Swedes do you have? One from Sweden. <laughs> There's one. one from Finland. There mm-hmm. are Danish, of course. And
0: because the Swedish people always come to you. There were always a little group of Swedish uh, cellists in mm. Nils class. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's quite natural because you're a principal cellist in Sweden. Yeah. so you're working quite a lot with all the students and then as well in the orchestra so uh, you're a very busy man mm-hmm. what do you do to be able to work that much because it's not for everyone to work that much because it's pretty much more than 100% what you are doing <laughs> because Niels is not this, this kind of teacher who look at the watch because it's like he will leave You, he will let you go when you can play the things that you should play and then you can go home. (laughs) Uh, So you can sit there for two hours (laughs) if that's necessary. And sometimes you even mm. give like three lessons a week because we needed it. Mm -hmm. If there was something important coming up, we were, Mm. you made sure we were were prepared.
1: Mm. What I do? Yeah, Yeah, what do
0: you do? How how can you work so much? Uh,
1: I think it's the same as if you are going to run a marathon. If you if you plan to do it, you cannot stop uh, every every kilometer and say well, how how far do I have to run. I mean, you have to just go on. Yeah. So, <laughs> and if you like what you do, it's not so difficult.
0: Niels will mm-hmm. work until uh, his wife calls him and yells at him. I think. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's quite. I know actually. I know that you like to winter bath because Hannah is mm-hmm. winter bathing. Your wife because yeah, the singers in Copenhagen love to winter bath. We yeah. have
1: been swimming this morning in the Øresund. Yeah. yes.
0: And, uh, but that's quite, like, I think that's quite good. I've been uh, in uh, the Netherlands, there is this guy called Hoffman. Mm-hmm. Who is doing a lot of cold explosion, and he says that um, uh, it cleans your body from stress when you do this winter bathing because mm-hmm. the cold is stressing your body, and then it's kind of easing you up when you because yeah. you go into sauna first, right? No, or, no, you go first. We in the go boat. to the sea first. Sea first, and then sauna. Yeah. Oh my and god. A,
1: and I can tell you, it's a very short swim, but yeah. we do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. But do you think it helps you relax? Or
1: yeah, I mean, I have never gone there i've never left the the place the super mm. regret regretting anything we have always been so happy to do it sometimes you you have to force yourself to go there because you it's so cold but you are never you'd never regret it
0: yeah mm. and do you exercise or eat any special diet or something secretly like this is this a rule the danish the danish no. bread <laughs> I
2: think, no, <laughs> I,
1: I might, uh, I'm not a vegetarian, or th- I, maybe I should, I don't know. But
0: uh, Would it help, you think?
1: Mm, I don't know. But I think we all cut down on the meat these years, and, no. and we even do that here a little bit. Maybe we should do more.
0: Yeah, mm. <laughs> have to grow some vegetables. Yeah. I know that your family, I mean, we know that Hannah is... Um, Doing well in the academy, they don't want to let her go. <laughs> you are singing a uh, wife, but you also have a daughter who is singing, Anne Sophie. Yes. And then you have an actor daughter as well. Yes. Who true. is quite uh, she's actual now with uh, a documentary in in Denmark. I, I saw. Yes. She that's was true. Uh, playing the Drottning Alexandria or uh, Alexandrine. Yeah? Yes. Drine. Yeah. She in the, the TV series. Yeah. She was yeah.
1: the the queen, the mother of of our. <laughs> now r- ruling queen's father yeah so are you doing a like the
0: crown in england or are you doing a similar one but in Denmark? Uh,
1: yeah well it can be compared to yeah. that but this is different because this is uh, a combination of the queen yeah. telling uh, her family's uh-huh. story okay. herself and also being uh you know, uh, being shown with, with with actors and actresses uh, so that that everything is is like being visualized what she is telling yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and my nice. daughter has had a very nice role there
0: yeah mm. and that's uh, that's quite impressive because it's not easy having two works one a wife and two daughters, and getting everything to go together between family and music, and especially when your family is working. In the same business as you, because you have the same working hours, I guess, or maybe not. When one is off, the other one is working. And how do you how do you make something like that work?
1: I mean, if if you don't have the same values, if you don't like uh, opera, you cannot be married to my wife, for instance. <laughs> <laughs> last last night we were in the opera in in the opera in in, the, in Copenhagen. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we I mean we are. Maybe we are musical nerds, but we, but we enjoy 24/7. our lives. 24-7. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Let's go home from the conservatorium to go to the
1: <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, so, somehow it's, for, for Hannah, it's also part of her work. She doesn't think it's, it's her work, but it is, because she's uh, keeping track on all her former students and, and what they're doing and, and enjoying their careers. And, and so it's a part of, uh, it's a natural part of her working life. It's the dessert, maybe you could say. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's true. Um, so I have a, a few things more that I want to ask you about. I know that a lot of listeners likes to hear about your shadow. Because mm-hmm. you have the Malmö Symphony uh, Orchestra Salon, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, okay, now it's the pronunciation. Francesco Ruggeri. Ruggeri, R- Ruggeri. Yes. Oh my God, my, my <laughs> pronunciation is really crap. Mm. Yeah, 1667. That's true. Yeah. How is it to play on? What yeah. makes a good cello? Uh,
1: to play the old Italian instruments, of course, it is, you get a rush. Uh, the 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 knowledge that the instrument is built like seventeen years before Bach was mm-hmm. born. Uh, that is fantastic, or eight, 18 years. Yeah. yeah. And and um. But the, and and of course it has a fantastic personality, a wonderful sound, and, and but it is also difficult because they are they are very moody to to weather changes and to to the moist of the humidity changes and things like this and and uh, actually the the old italian instruments are not fantastic in an orchestra they are more soloist mm. instruments so what i actually did now is mm. i ordered a new instrument mm.
0: Because you, all the instruments, you had your own cello. I one pray, of the students Yes, <laughs> took. that's
1: true. But I actually ordered a new instrument by mm-hmm. Peter Westerlund. And yeah. I have it here and I'm buying it. And it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. Is it a, his own design? Or? It's
1: a Montagnana copy yeah. that he, is, he has been doing this for many years. And that is th- the same with music as with, with um, luthier, with cello building, uh, cello making, that you have to really do... Maybe the same model a few times before you know, and he has made, I think, sixty-six of these. So uh, it's it's really it's no it's it's no wonder that he's an expert.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. I remember because when I was studying, one of your students was borrowing your Mm cello, and then he ended up buying it and took it from you. So (laughs) you actually were without cello for a long time, and it was Henning. (laughs) Yeah, that's (laughs) true. Henning Friedrichson. He took. Mm -hmm. He fell in love with your your own cello. Yes. Yes. So
1: that's good that it was
0: <laughs> you're very
1: that it was not, not left alone <laughs> in a cello case I didn't really need it at this time but now I'm thinking of my retirement yeah not that I hope it will happen real right now but I, I'm preparing for it
0: yeah so you can still play so,
1: so it's good to have a, a really good instrument
0: yeah because you leave, have to give back the, the Rogeri is not mine no. it is the orchestras then he has to go back Mm -hmm. or become someone else's. Yes. Uh, He's kind of your best friend. (laughs) A little bit, but maybe (laughs) it's a destructive uh, relationship when the weather is moody. Mm -hmm. So I want you to give the last thing, is that I want you to give an advice to someone who is in the music school and to someone who is in the conservatorium and someone who is uh, freelancing or professional. So -hmm. we start with a person in the music school. What advice would you give them for um, for life as a musician or life with music? Oh,
1: well, well I think in in this time, uh, when we are so much influenced by the internet and and we have all the, the last um, model of the iPhone and things like fantastic. Uh, machines that can actually fill your life with <laughs> with with mm-hmm. knowledge and with with uh, all sorts of uh, of uh, challenges but also it can sp- it can steal your focus mm. i think it's fantastic to be able to to cut that out uh, or to to shut it out of your of your parts of your W- awake life so to play the violin or the cello uh, or whatever is a fantastic opportunity to to develop yourself and your own uh, perception of, of the what's going on uh, being not influenced by the int- the internet that, yeah. that would be a very strong advice uh, also to the parents that that they give their Kids, the the possibility of not being online all the time
0: and being just here and now and yeah yeah disconnected with the cyber world for a, for a little while. Actually, I read a book uh, about the Swedish uh, psychologist. He says that uh, a mobile phone te- takes as much attention as if you would have a baby in the room mm-hmm. because it's like they did a lot of studies when people were making tests with the phone in the room or without. The phone in the room and the people who didn't have the phone in the room got better results mm. than the people that actually had the phone in the room even though it was closed down and wasn't on mm. it took uh, focus yeah. but then for a person in the conservatorium some of your students maybe perhaps yeah
1: you you, you must be you, you i mean today it is so important to, to think out of the box, so to speak, so that you are not trying to follow the pattern of, of some younger, younger, older generations. I mean, even, even I had to think different, or we had to different, think differently than our parents, and it will always be like that, but it has never moved so quickly, uh, so that we, we, our life and our children's life and our grandchildren's life they will be really different uh, and and i think that um, that being in, in in the business of music in classical music if it's if, if you want to speak about this uh, as a as a special uh, area then i think we sh- we have to be much more uh, broader in our in our abilities we cannot be only experts uh, with Brahms and Beethoven anymore. We have to be much more addressing a bigger audience because we will not be able to make a living. Mm-hmm. It's so difficult to get into an orchestra now. It's, it's. Uh, I mean, I cannot speak with my students uh, very exactly about their possibilities. Uh, they, I must. They must actually find out themselves what they want to do. The only thing I can do is to give my experiences to them, which is not going to cover all their needs. But mm. of course, I hope that I can give them the tools to, to, to be able to play as well as possible and, and to be, from that, go on and, and find a new, maybe a new uh, pattern of expressions that can be used in, in other styles that we maybe not, not know, that we don't know yet.
0: I have uh, something that I want to try out on you because I have my own ID of what is what has to happen Mm -hmm. so my idea is like that the problem now is that everyone is seeking the same audience everyone is seeking the same job Mm -hmm. so that's why a lot of musicians don't have any work because everyone wants to sit in the same orchestras they want to have the same jobs Mm -hmm. with the same attention from the same audience but what i noticed that when i started to addressing people uh, from different audience and building my own audience and playing Mm -hmm. the music that i'm really good at Mm -hmm. i got more success and it was also possible for me to work as a musician because all of a sudden a whole world opened up for me and instead of resisting going to do something and fighting for the same work as, as everyone else i kind of decided that it was easier for me to get the other other sorts of attention because I don't think we have a lack of people in the world because actually we are just expanding with more and more people so it should be able we should be able to live from music but i think the problem is that everyone is seeking the same audience and everyone mm-hmm. wants to play in Cording a hall everyone wants to sit on malmö live mm-hmm. instead of addressing the audience that is not because also they have different kind of qualities you don't have to be a super, super, super virtual chalice to play for an audience that requires easier music. Mm -hmm. so for example if i started playing for people in elderly home for example they don't hear very well (laughs) no No, uh, they have different requirements for them it's just fun that some someone is coming and it's Mm -hmm. different elderly homes of course because some elderly homes has very high uh, educated classical listeners so then they maybe require some uh, more difficult classical music but other elderly home has Uh, people who are just happy that something is happening Mm -hmm. and they don't care if I play Swedish folk music or if I play Bach because Mm -hmm. as long as I tell them a little story about it and have a a nice cozy time with them they will enjoy it and that's kind of uh, how you build up you have to try your what you are good at in music to uh, be able to find your audience because if you find your audience you can survive and get money for what you are doing but I don't know what do you think about that you think it's a a reasonable uh, thought?
1: I mean, you have proved that it's a a reasonable thought because... Yeah,
0: I mean, it goes good at times. I have a lot of success, but I mean, when I first tried it out, I had like 19 concerts in two weeks, so then it was really, really good. But then my teacher said to I me, mean, you cannot expect always to have that kind no, of success. No. But uh, I mean, it comes and it goes. But I think we as musicians are very bad at offering music also, mm. because we expect them to find us.
1: We, we all know, uh, I think most of us know the feeling that we go to a family uh, gathering, some mm. birthday or what it is, whatever it is, and... Some, some time in your childhood, maybe this aunt or this uncle has asked you, can you, can you play something for us? Mm. And we have been brought up to, to, to be so uh, perfectionist that we will not play because we are not ready to play it yet. Mm. I know this, and, and I think all children knows know that, yeah. more or less. Uh, uh, or if they don't, I, I must really say bravo to their parents or... Their surroundings, because it would be, it would be wonderful to be able to keep this wonderful uh, f- freedom that you can always play something to somebody mm-hmm. and always make somebody happy with what you can do right now and here. I think that's maybe what you are saying. Yeah, you know.
0: that's my idea.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I I think it's a wonderful idea. But but of course it's uh, it's conflicting with the the ambition to be. To get better, to be uh, perfect, or to, to to achieve the highest level of, of I mean, no matter if it's music or sports or whatever it is, I mean, it will easily be like sports that you cannot show something that that is not on your top level, and and you will not do the same with the violin and or the cello, and 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 that's a pity. You're right. I mean, the the children should should be be able to feel the joy of music and and then it would maybe even be able to you you could be able to keep that in your approach as a grown-up person you Uh, would
0: also kind of because i i'm working more and more as a mental trainer for musicians and i noticed that a lot of people have problems being on stage doing auditions playing good on exams they play super bad on the exam all the sudden yeah. And it's because they have maybe one exam concert or one big concert every half year. Yeah. But if you are starting with playing for people who have less demands or demands different things, like I always divide it into people who listen with their brain or listen with their heart. Mm-hmm. And people who listen with their heart, they, are, they don't care if you do mistakes because it's still music what you do. Mm. even though it was another note, maybe, or it was another bowing and stuff like that. But if you listen with your brain, you have another intellectual approach to the music. Mm. But if you always play, like at least once a week, you will also practice the art of playing in front of people and also practice yourself in how should I behave in order to get myself to play really good at the concert, because you have to kind of... It is possible to actually teach your body to play perfect at, at a certain clock time like you can time yourself to do Mm. that that's what sport people are doing Mm. but we are in the music business are very far behind because we are still doing like beethoven and we think that's the best way to do it still even though we developed a lot and there's a lot of science and yeah Mm. but i don't know i hope there will be more of that Mm. and i think also that's something that the conservatorium should focus on to maybe open up music for more people instead of just Practicing six months for one concert, yeah, yeah, and then never play it again.
1: I mean, something that we are not. Uh,
2: because you
0: do that with your cello class. We had a we had a cello every month. Yeah, yeah, we still do. Yeah, a so uh, wonderful cello So if you are living close to Odense, you should go. They have a wonderful new conservatorium and beautiful buildings and everything. So you should go and listen to that because they are free. Mm -hmm. And you invite people. And you have an audience who comes quite frequently. uh, Because you have this, you build up a trust between them. And then your students can practice to play in front of people. And the audience get free music. So you also, you have a win-win situation. It's a win-win
1: situation, yes. We we are actually experiencing experiencing that there are more people coming each time. And faces we don't know. Mm -hmm. So it's a wonderful development.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's really important. Yeah, I want to thank you so much for being in the podcast. I could talk with you forever <laughs> because mm. you are one of my favorite persons in the world. And thank you for inviting us to your home. I know it's a great area here. You told me before we started that uh, you have um, three other cellists living here in the same area in Copenhagen. You have Andreas Brandtelit's father here. He's uh, also a shellist. And then you have uh, some colleagues, actually, retired they're colleagues.
1: They are actually, uh, I, I think we are 10. Yeah, if 10. You count. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> But so uh,
0: yeah. there will be a new uh, Shell Ensemble here soon <laughs> coming <laughs> up with oh. the Nils Unner. <laughs> no, no. But um, um,
1: it was so nice to to speak with you. Petronella. Yeah,
0: Thank you for sharing. I know you have so much experience and I really value that. And if you want to get in contact with Nils or listen to his concert with his students or go to his masterclass, you can visit. I mean, yeah, you are on the Malmö Symphony Orchestra webpage. It doesn't say so much about you there, but it's a really nice photo of you. Uh-huh. <laughs> very very handsome. Also in the um, conservatorium, they have some some small words about you. But then you also have a Facebook page. Yes. Yeah, but you're not so I'm big no, in social media actually.
1: I'm, I'm no, I'm mm-hmm. too old school, and I, it's not because I don't want to, but I never find the time because I have to do yeah. something more interesting.
0: <laughs> you have uh, <laughs> too much things to do. So how mm. can people contact you? Do they ha- do you have an um, email on the conservatorium or? They yes. should call the conservatorium. But I think
1: if they go to the sdmk dot it is the homepage of the of the, the conservatorium. Yes.
0: So then they can find the Schloss and they, they can find, find f- you yes. if they want to come study for you. Yes. They have to fin- uh, they have to come soon because you're retiring. or uh, no
1: no no no! <laughs> Don't in say that. In ten years,
0: <laughs> <laughs> you will never retire. This. Or use you're my y- use
1: my own <laughs> email address, which is. Niels, N-I-E-L-S yep. dot Ullner U-L-L-N-E-R uh, at then gmail.com
0: and Then you can get in touch with Niels and uh, you can also go to concert hall in Malmö to listen to him, but make sure he's playing, because he's a busy man. And uh, yeah, I think that was all. How was it for you? Was it difficult questions?
1: I hope I passed the test.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> it would be difficult. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Nils. Master in music. Master. Master.